The Coach's Plan podcast is recorded on the traditional unceded territory of the Willis-DeWig and Mi'kmaq peoples. This territory is covered by the Treaties of Peace and Friendship, which these nations signed with the British Crown in 1726. The territories did not deal with the surrender of lands and resources, but in fact recognized Mi'kmaq and Willis-DeWig title and established the rule for what was going to be an ongoing relationship between nations. At Coach New Brunswick, we pay respect to the elders, past and present, and we are grateful that we now get to share this space with the descendants of this land. We honor the knowledge keepers and seek their guidance as we strive to develop closer relationships through sport, education, community, understanding, truth, and reconciliation. Thank you for listening in the same spirit. Hey, everybody. My name is David Thibodeau from the Sports Social Impact Podcast. Uh, my name is Ashley Milani, manager of Coach Education and host of the Coach's Plan Podcast with Coach NB. And we have a special crossover episode today. So today's episode is called The Coach's Plan for Social Impact. It's all about how coaches can use their programs for impact for their community, for the, for the society that they live in. We are super excited to be here. Um, Ashley, can you tell us about The Coach's Plan podcast? Um, I was going to say, like, David, you could probably tell me a little bit about the Coach's Plan podcast as well, because you have been a guest on my podcast before. So I'm very happy to have you back, although we'll be posting this to both of our channels. So uh, for those listening, I'm ha- very happy to be on your episode today. Um, yeah, the Coach's Plan podcast is um, an on-the-go, built-by-coaches-for-coaches kind of toolkit. We're here to help coaches uh, build their perfect season, and um, we have spent a lot of time in the past focusing on, you know, very specific like sports sciences, um, you know, social sciences type uh, episodes in the past um, and recently have moved more towards the impact that coaches programmings and sports have on kids and and, you know, more largely on the world. So I could not be more pleased today to be talking to you about uh, how to help coaches think about the social impact that their programs are creating, because that's what we try and do every day here at Coach MB. So thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. Um, I was going to say, and David, tell me a little bit about the uh, about sports for social impact. Yeah, so and yeah, just to touch on yeah, the coaches plan podcast episode that I that I did with you about LGBTQ inclusion, I think it was back in your first season. Um, yeah, it was, it was first or second season. Yeah, yeah, so it was the first podcast that I ever did, and now I have my own. So it was a, it was a stepping stone, and now now I'm here. So wow, um, I can't believe I inspired <laughs> entire spinoff podcast. <laughs> You did. You did. What can I say? Um, So the Sports for Social Impact podcast, um, I started it in 2020 after I attended Global Sports Week as a young sport maker, um, the only one from Canada and the only one of um, two that year from North America. The other one was from the U.S. And so the Global Sports Week was in was in Paris and the conversations that I that were being had there was like so far advanced that anything that I had really heard about um, heard conversations here in Canada or you know by extension in the U.S. and it, so it was just all about how sports can be used for you know obviously you know health you know obviously that's a you know I, I guess a given um, but also just you know tackling things like the climate change um, gender inequalities um, and all these sorts of different social issues. Um, and, and how sport can be a powerful tool for, for all those different things. It, one thing that you can really kind of look back easily and tie it to is like the sustainable development goals from, from the United Nations. Um, so there's 17 goals and, and, you know, different ways that sport can be used to tackle all those things. Like, you know, so on, on the podcast, we've talked about homelessness, 
Um, we've talked about pollution. We've talked about, um, you know, uh, so many, you know, education and access to education through sport and, and, and all those, all those fun things. Um, well, I was going to say, especially on the education side, you're talking to the right person here because, uh, the other, the other main function of coach New Brunswick is to, uh, you know, be a provincial delivery agent, I should say, of the national coaching certification program, which is largely regarded worldwide as being a gold standard in coach education and development programs, you know, an evidence, evidence-based programs that's, um, you know, uh, tested quite rigorously throughout, throughout the years, uh, and is seen as quite, um, you know, quite the shining star in Canada in terms of sport development. But I'm really curious to hear about your experience uh, at, at Global Sport Week um, and being only basically one of two North Americans there. What, what would you say, first of all, what was the crowd like? And second of all, what kind of ideas were you hearing about um, about sport that, you know, maybe would seem a little bit foreign to us and us in Canada? Yeah, so the crowd was very, it was, um, it was very Eurocentric. So 2020 was the first year that they had hosted. So it was very, and you know, it was based in, based in Paris. So there was, um, it was, you know, people from all over the world, but it was very um, Eurocentric, but I, I don't think that was necessarily a problem because it was super interesting to hear about everything happening, everything happening in Europe. Um, so that there's people from all different sectors of sport. There were coaches, there were athletes, there were sport administrators, there was um, people who were part of um, like sport equipment. So like sport media, so like all, all facets of the sport industry. So I guess it really got me thinking more about like what is considered to be part of the sport industry. Cause you know, before I really thought it's just, you know, the athletes, the coaches and like, you know, so practices, competitions and that, that sort of um, that that's, you know, in sport administrators as well, I guess, but I, I, I never really considered sport equipment necessarily part of the sport industry per se, because um, like it's not necessarily, you know, I, you know, obviously it's important for sports to, to, for, you know, equipment and stuff is obviously needed for lots of sports, but it wasn't really necessarily on my, on my radar is in terms of, you know, how sports can have a, can, you know, participate in having a social impact. And yeah, you know, it's just some of the things that I learned, it, I guess it just, it really just opened my eyes to all the different ways that sports can be used in, in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, I mentioned a couple already when I was talking a bit before, um, but there's, you know, uh, sport diplomacy, you know, strengthening ties between nations, between citizens, um, and a whole bunch of other things that sports can be, can be used for. I, I, I here in Canada, I, I really felt that the conversation was a lot, very focused on, you know, sort of like youth development, which is absolutely true, right? So, you know, we talk about youth development through sport, you know, teaching them leadership skills, so time management, organization, um, team, teamwork, communication, and all those, all those different things, which is what, which is 100% true, but there's also so many other ways that, um, that sport can be used to help people. It kind of, it kind of sounds like we're playing checkers over here and they're <laughs> over in Europe, they're playing chess. They're like, yeah, yeah. You guys are worried about like the technical parts of sports still. And meanwhile, we're already thinking like way far ahead in terms of how does, uh, sport function as a tool within our society rather than a pastime or, or a thing you do, you know, to, to blow off some steam. Um, I think, I think that's really interesting. I, I was, I was going to agree with you. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, it, it does seem that way. I think it's changing a lot here in Canada. Like, you know, I'm seeing, um, you know, more and more things changing. Um, so, you know, the, 
um, you know, we're, we're some of the examples that I can see happening are there's more examples of sort of like sport for development in indigenous communities and stuff from, especially from sport Canada as like a, as a policy direction. And so like, why is it, but why is it limited to indigenous communities? Why isn't it just, you know, clear across the board for, for, you know, all across Canada using, using sport for, you know, sport for development. So it, it is slowly changing, I think, and there's examples of it here, but I think it can be a lot, a lot bigger. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking a lot lately about different coaching trends and coach education trends across Canada, and I'm seeing a lot of work done in um, the equity, diversity, inclusion space. I'm seeing a lot of work done, uh, especially around sports safety. Um, I, we're starting to talk now at, um, with my colleagues kind of at the, at the provincial delivery level about, you know, how do we make our programs more accessible to newcomers in our provinces? Um, what do we do when we have a you know, like a workbook, for example, that is only translated in English and French, but we need somebody, uh, you know, like in BC, for example, they were, they were mentioning at our, our meetings a couple of weeks back around how uh, they're thinking about translating some of the modules into Mandarin so that um, they can support, you know, the, the Asian community in their, in their province, um, especially in some sports like badminton, um, table tennis, like they were saying that, uh, you know, there is, there is enough of a that, that kind of critical mass to start um, supporting people in this way. And so we were having a big discussion around, you know, what is the function of us as coach education uh, providers within our, within our province? Is it just, you know, trying to get as many coaches into our system as we can, or is it more about the stuff that we're actually teaching them? Which I think, I think we all kind of came to the same conclusion there around how, how important it is for us to be looking to really be thinking about the effects that we're doing through through um, our, our courses rather than just, you know, trying to get bums and seeds, trying to get people into yeah. it. Uh, I think most people, are, at least that I've had the privilege of working with, have been shifting focus around um, the impacts their their program delivery is, is having on their community, uh, but it's still, still a big, big work in pro- progress. Mm-hmm. Not, not an easy one to tackle. Yeah, no, for sure. And, that, and that's, um, you know, makes me think, are, you know, are we putting too much pressure on our coaches to know, you know, be all knowledgeable? Like, you know, as you're talking about, you know, what we're teaching coaches and stuff, like, are, you know, um, you know, recently I know coaches, at least in Ontario, where I was coaching most recently, um, they had to go concussion, they had to do concussion training every year. I don't know if it's the same in New Brunswick and other provinces in Canada, but, um, you know, concussion training, you know, we expect them to know lots about mental health and physical health and how to be inclusive for, uh, BIPOC communities and LGBTQ communities and people with disabilities and, um, and, you know, all these different things. And now, you know, this, what we're, you know, still getting into is, you know, also now also like social impact and like sort of those repercussions as well. Like, are we, are, are we expecting too much from our coaches? Uh, that's a tough question. I think it's, I, yes, first of all, yes. I think most community coaches who have an average lifespan in Canada of about three years, three to four years within, within a volunteer role in, in um, sport in Canada. Um, I think to a degree, we are asking a lot of them in terms of numbers of uh, coaching course hours compared to probably, you know, the amount of coaching they're actually doing. If you think about um, like a soccer coach needing eight hours, let's say, for example, of community level kind of coursework to coach a half an hour once a week for like an eight week season, suddenly uh, the amount of coursework you're doing is more than the actual coaching you're getting done. So I can definitely appreciate that uh, coaches in general are very overtasked, not to mention that they're being asked to do just a lot outside of their quote unquote job description. Not many of them will get, you know, 
on paper job descriptions, but uh, they'll also be, you know, the team equipment manager, they'll be the jersey order, they'll be the tournament organizer. Um, and so to ask them to do all these roles and then also be considering all these, you know, multifaceted aspects of child development and, and societal development is, is asking a lot. But at the same time, like the world is changing and like sport is changing, the conversation around sport is changing and it's, it's not the wild west anymore. Um, and I mean, in the same, in the same way that we ask our athletes to continue to develop, it's, I think it's only fair that we ask our coaches to continue to develop and grow alongside it. You know, we know a lot more, even just about basic, um, like sports sciences around your physical needs than we did, you know, 40 years ago. And so why would we like, for example, continue to ask athletes to train without drinking water and using salt licks like they did in like the sixties and seventies, um, or, you know, even eighties and on when we know that athletes need to drink water in order to be able to perform at their best. And so when we are asking coaches to learn about concussion, uh, awareness and not that we need them to be doctors and not that we need them to be the ones that, you know, are diagnosing these athletes, we need to be asking the coaches to just know enough in order to remove them from the dangerous environment, get them to safety and, uh, and, you know, pass them off to the next person. I think the, the scope of responsibility of a coach is quite broad, but we don't need them to be experts in everything. We just need them to be aware of some of these issues so that mm -hmm. they can at least be working on addressing it. For example, creating more inclusive environments. It's not that we need every single person to be hundred percent up to date on every single LGBTQ acronym in the, in the <laughs> rainbow. Um, it's that we need them to think about how to create uh, safe, inclusive spaces that are welcoming and that are, you know, free from harassment, free from abuse, um, and uh, to know how to manage the people within the program to, to continue to create those environments. So um, yes, we are asking a lot of them, but at the same time, we kind of have to. Absolutely. That's, just, that's just where sport is now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I think that there's, yeah, a lot of space for, I guess, some, I don't want to say improvement, but there's a lot of space for us to grow and as, as coaches and as a, and as the sport industry to, 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 to fill those boots. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not an easy one. I was thinking back as well when we were talking about youth development and thinking about, you know, how much effort is often placed on these uh, these coaches and these athletes to really think be thinking about performance. You know, when I typically think about European standards for, for, you know, program development, um, coach focuses, it's usually around, uh, a very, very strong understanding of a long-term athlete development and a very good application of that as well. So sometimes I see in Canada, uh, programs, you know, forcing, too young of kids into programs that are based around performance way too fast. Um, we prioritize, you know, the, the, a U six soccer team. I'm sorry to keep picking on soccer. It's just, the, it's just the one that comes to mind whenever <laughs> I think about this stuff, I could pick on hockey or a lot of other sports as well. Um, but you know, sports that are running 12 months out of the year when the, they don't really need to be, when we know the benefits of multi-sport for, for, kids and for, for youth and athlete development. And I, I worry sometimes about how we're still trying to catch up to like the Euro, like the European programs of like the two thousands or the nineties around this, like really strong kind of athlete focused model, uh, for long-term development, you know, not pushing kids into competition too fast, focusing on skill development. And meanwhile, now we are here in 2022, we're still working on achieving that. And 
uh, our European counterparts are meanwhile out way out here in like yeah. 30, 30, 22 <laughs> thing on, on development. And it's not that the, you know, that it's not that the, the like sort of the, you know, community development, sport for development, sport for social impact, um, you know, pathway is it, it's not, it's not that it's not compatible with high performance. They can coexist. You know, you don't, um, you know, I think sometimes we just get really wrapped up in, I guess I want to say winning, um, and then we just got, I think that's, you know, how, kind of how our reflective of our society as well. Um, but, you know, always, always trying to be the best, always trying to go further, always trying to get it, you know, personal best winning, winning that medal. I think, yeah. So I think we get wrapped up in that a bit. Um, whereas we forget that sport can just be for fun and that it can't, it doesn't have to always just be about winning. There are other benefits of sport other than just, you know, other than just winning in that gold medal. And, and, and so I think, I think we can definitely do more uh, about, and, you know, as coaches to, you know, try to um, bring that into their programs more. Yeah. And, and I also don't want to like keep putting like the European models up on a pedestal. I know that there's definitely a lot of work to be done to, there as well. Absolutely, I don't, yeah. I don't want it, me to be, you know, kind of um, crapping on the work we're doing <laughs> in North America. Cause I think there is a lot of really incredible people trying to make really impactful change. I just know that we just need to work on catching up a little mm-hmm. bit. So mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're all, everyone's working on their stuff, not, not just us. One more note I had on, um, community development, high performance, really, I think the emphasis still needs to be on community development because that's where we're still seeing a lot of gaps, even, you know, just, um, in the past year, we know from, from some research recently done that, uh, we're losing volunteers in Canada as fast as ever. Um, sport is a, is a huge volunteer sector. I want to say, I want to say the number is like over 80% of people who work in sport are volunteer based. Um, and if we are losing volunteers, either from the impacts of COVID or from people being asked up to do too much, uh, we're really going to start to have a really hard time with, with pushing anything forward in our programs in Canada, because uh, sport will die if we don't have these community members supporting the work we're doing. So I, I wanted to make a quick little plug to um, back to the coaches yeah. around, you know, even if you feel like, uh, even if you feel like you're being asked to do too much and you're feeling like you're overwhelmed, um, the idea is that we don't need you to be perfect. We just need you to be trying your best just the way we ask our athletes to try your best. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if, um, you kind of felt the same way because I know you were an athlete as well, but, um, you know, for me growing up and like one of the benefits that I got out of swimming was that I, I, and I can't really pinpoint like why, why I kind of felt this way but um just like volunteering and like giving back to my community like I, I I learned that through sport um and and so I think that's you know one of the social impacts of sport and I think coaches can you know try to do a you know a bit more to incorporate that into their programs as well and you know you could as a team building exercise you can go and volunteer somewhere and then try to you know re, you know reinforce that in their athletes and create better citizens um you know that that's a way that um, you know, making your team stronger and, but then also, you know, helping instill the values of volunteerism and, and, and giving back and, and community and, you know, effective citizenship in, in, in our athletes. And I think it's a great way, um, you know, and, and as you're talking about, you know, sport is very driven by, by volunteers, right. I'm thinking about the Canada games being held later this summer and, you know, that's thousands and thousands of volunteers, 
you know, the, uh, the Olympic Games in 2010 in here in Canada, or, you know, any Olympic Games, not just not just Vancouver 2010, but, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteers. And, um, you know, it's it, so sport, sport is driven by, you know, volunteerism and, and, and community and, and giving back and th- th- those sort of values. No, you're totally right. Like when I, I first started coaching, I mean, I think I started coaching uh, when I was in eighth grade, I was coaching the fifth grade basketball team, like at lunch. Um, I think more because I was told to rather than I wanted to. But uh, <laughs> when I did start choosing coaching, um, either as a volunteer or as a as more of a paid professional um, in my own time, it was because of that sense of wanting to give back to the community that raised me. And uh, I felt a super strong sense of, um, you know, social cohesion, uh, definitely a huge sense of identity through the sports I was participating in and, and giving back to. So um, that's a really, I think, an interesting piece, too, when we talk about social impact is around this idea specifically for uh, either newcomers or people, you know, who have had uh, sport be a really large part of their life and then maybe have had that taken away from them to find your way back into who you are through the means of sport, I think is um, a really interesting concept. Um, I was recently just reading an article on CBC about uh, how Cricket New Brunswick is starting to, you know, reinvigorate their women's programming. There was a woman from Afghanistan who actually recently immigrated to Canada after um, the the Taliban had taken over. And uh, she was a, a really high level cricket player in, in Afghanistan and she's in Fredericton now. And she was saying how she um, doesn't want to pr- lose a, her professional abilities in the game that she loves. Uh, it's, it's hard just, you know, starting over on itself, but not only in the sport, but in a new country, in a new space, in a new culture. Um, and so it was really important for her, you know, to get back to the sport that she knew and she loved and, you know, had spent a large part of her life, like developing skills within, um, and then using that too, as a way to, you know, help build her into the community. Uh, uh, yeah, I was reading the article. It was, it was very touching. Um, mm-hmm. but so like, so to see, to see, um, you know, ways where people can kind of come back into sport and come back into the community and find their place again, that's the, that's the kind of reasons why I got into sport. Like that's the stuff that gives me goosebumps when I think about, um, why sport I feel has value within a, within a society, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. Yeah. The, just like the sport at it, contributing to, you know, social cohesion and, and making people, people feel like they're part of something bigger is, is, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people get involved in sport. Um, and I, and, and I think that's an important thing for coaches to keep in mind when, when they're, you know, designing their programs and, and, and doing practices and stuff, right. Sometimes it's not, sometimes people are there because they want to, you know, build a community and, and be part of something and, and not, you know, competitions is, you know, obviously part of sport. I'm not saying that it's not part of sport, but it's not the most important thing for some people. Yeah. Um, and this, this also just kind of sparked something in my head. I was thinking, I, I don't want to only, you know, kind of infer that it's people who are new to our communities or new to Canada that can benefit from using social, like sport as a, as a social tool to integrate them in the community. I think about it even being, you know, a very powerful unifier, sometimes a powerful divider, but also a powerful unifier, even within, you know, local communities thinking about, I mean, maybe a, a example of a, a divisive kind of issue would be like around the, um, when the Oilers and the Flames were in, were in the Stanley oh, yes. Cup playoffs and it was like the war of Alberta, uh, I think is really funny, but at the same time, you know, like you have, um, a huge community coming together together to celebrate, you know, the sport they love and, 
Um, I'm not sure if you've been reading the news lately, but things in Canada are a little <laughs> bit divisive when it yeah. when it comes to political issues and it comes to um, social issues. People feel I, I don't mm -hmm. know if it's just me, but I feel like people are more divided than ever. And maybe it's an impact of social media. Maybe it's an impact of um, uh, of COVID making people a little squirrely. All I can say is that I don't think we can forget the um, the impact that you know being able to have a common language through sport really Absolutely. has like has the ability to affect a lot of change and a lot of and recreate a lot of cohesion. Um, and that's not that's not the only example of it. I could, yeah. I'm thinking automatically of so right um, this past week there was the um, uh, Memorial Cup for the Canadian Hockey League happening in St. John and they, you know, obviously, you know, not everybody can afford to buy tickets because, you know, they can sell out as well. Um, but just, uh, they, uh, they opened a, this, this past summer, they opened a new um, shipping container village here in uptown St. John on the waterfront in the Harbor and they're streaming the game there. So, you know, anybody can walk in for free and just sit there and, you know, even, you know, I'm not a huge, personally, I'm not a huge fan of hockey and I don't, I don't, you know, watch hockey at my house, but I, I loved going there and being surrounded by people and be, you know, being part of that community and wrapped up in the experience of watching the hockey game there on that big screen outside like that. It was amazing. And, and, you know, I think, um, you know, they also do it in Toronto. It's called like Jurassic park. So like when the Raptors are playing, um, it's a huge big screen downtown Toronto. You know, I don't, I don't even know how many people there are hundreds and thousands of people are out in this, up, out in the square watching this, you know, being together and experiencing it together. So yeah, there's, there's lots of ways that, Sport is, is an example of, you know, you don't have to play to be, even be playing sport to, to, to benefit from that, from that aspect of it. I, I was going to use the Jurassic Park example as well. We had a, a very mini version of that in Fredericton at Picaroons um, across the river from me. And uh, yeah, I remember them setting up this big blow up screen on the lawn and then just like people packing in with picnic blankets and little chairs and, and benches and stuff. And, um, and I, I don't watch a lot of professional sports either, which is hilarious as being a sports person, <laughs> but I had never been so hyped up on basketball before in my life was, was, you know, being together with my community and watching this really special time in Canadian sport. And um, yeah, still gives me goosebumps yeah. when I think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, so, you know, there, you know, this really just like, you know, makes me think that, you know, there's, and, you know, and obviously we're, we're not touching on everything that <laughs> that sport can do. Right. Um, but there's so many other things other than that, that we're, you know, that I think that we're just kind of, you know, missing out on, you know, obviously everyone's pressed for time and I'm not saying that coaches need to do more. You know, I, I understand that, you know, lots of coaches are volunteers. Some coaches are paid, you know, some community coaches are paid. I know for swimming, um, coaches are paid, but yeah, it, it, you know, everyone's busy and, but, you know, I think making time for even, you know, small things that, that contribute to the social impact, I think is important. Yeah, I was going to say, so I think, I think we've kind of done our selling points here on why, <laughs> why coaches should be thinking about this, this kind of stuff. And um, I, I don't think anyone would really, you know, argue with the points we're making. I think the hardest part is, you know, how do I actually make mm -hmm. this happen? How do I actually put this into play? Um, you know, I'm, I'm busy thinking about, you know, just planning the practice itself, itself, mm -hmm. organizing the competitions that we have coming up. Like, how do I have time to fit yet another, like, like theme or, mm -hmm. or, um, kind of topic into, into my daily, uh, daily practices. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, yeah. So just thinking about like the first thing that we kind of talked about already, um, just, you know, trying to, um, you know, going out in the community and doing team building stuff and volunteering and stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be, 
you know, for free. Right. So I know some teams do like fundraisers and stuff like, you know, we will come and, you know, break your lawn or whatever. Um, you know, it can be something like that, you know, that that's, you know, in a sense, volunteer, you know, not, not quite volunteering, but it is sort of like along the same lines. Right. So you're helping the community in different ways, um, by, you know, doing that and then also helping your team by fundraising a bit. Um, so you can kind of, kind of build things in that way. Yeah, I was going to say when I, I remember doing a few community cleanups um, with uh, with my team when I was uh, swimming in Winnipeg, we would um, every once in a while go on like a, a trash jog where you uh, we would do our dry land outside. We would go for a run around our community. And the idea is that you you know had to try and pick up three pieces of garbage off the ground mm-hmm. while you were while you're running or, or um, I mean, that just kind of became then a something that we Same. did every jog yeah. because it just became a normal part of our, our practices. Yeah. I um, love that. We, um, I remember once year right around either Thanksgiving or Christmas this time, uh, we would volunteer as a big group, uh, at, you know, a, a soup kitchen within town. Um, and so there was definitely ways for us to be getting out into our community. That was, um, you know, not only a bonding experience for us, but also a way that we could be giving back and, you know, that is, I think, a very good example of a very direct social impact that you could make within a program that is maybe a little bit outside of the sport sport mm-hmm. space. But I think if you're, you know, if you don't really have that much leeway over or over, you know, the extracurriculars of your teams, or maybe you're working with, with little kids and you can't quite get them to, you know, I think mm-hmm. there's some child labor laws around that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but there's but there's still ways that you can be kind of instilling some of these ideas in them at a young age around communityism, uh, around volunteerism, around um, you know, even if it's just the basics of thinking about treating your teammates with kindness and care and and uh considering their their kind of their feelings in in, in um the kind of mm-hmm. work that you're doing as a group, like that is even just a huge, huge step forward. Um, and yep. while I think it's easy for us to say that, you know, coaches are constantly thinking about stuff like that, it's, um, you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> some and, are, some yeah, are no. really just trying to get through this, yeah. through the, through the practice. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you were talking about, you know, picking up pieces of the trash, you reminded me, you know, I think we'd be remiss to you talk about like, you know, sort of like the environmental impacts of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, we have been listening to a po- coach's plan podcast. Um, um, from, I think from your lap from season three and it was, uh, or maybe it was season four. I can't remember exactly, but, um, on it, you some of the coaches are talking about how, um, you know, trying to like the, the equipment and stuff for, for all the teams and stuff and, you know, sport equipment, sport equipment is expensive, right? So there's the, there, and the coaches were talking about the financial aspect of it, but it also creates a lot of waste. So there's also the environmental aspect of it as well. So I think, you know, one, another sort of like easy program that, you know, coaches could, you know, I know, I, you know, not all sports can easily pass on things, but, um, you know, some, some sports have a lot of equipment that you can, you, that you can pass on to other people when you grow out of it or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, sort of like a, you know, a buyback program, right? So the, if, when you grow out of something, you can sell it to younger athletes at the beginning of the next year, right? So it reduces, you know, it's better for you know people's wallets. It saves people a bit, m- bit of money, and then it also reduces the waste that we're throwing out that's produced by sport. Um, I, I was thinking, like, I go to the ski swap almost every year. Not only, not usually because I need to need to buy new things. Usually, I just like skimming around and seeing seeing what's a good uh, good deal. But I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I just had a thought too about the financial impact about sport equipment and, um, you know, travel competitions and all that kind of stuff as well as, um, a, an artistic swimming coach, uh, that we work with, with coach NB, 
um, was, you know, giving a really good example the other day about for these young athletes who are starting their very, very starting their career into artistic swimming and or, or synchro swimming is, as some of you may know it, um, you know, there can be a lot of pressure to have these like beautiful sequence matching bathing suits and the, and you know, the, all the fancy hairdos and the fancy caps and all this, you know, fancy deck equipment that you, um, that people, you know, associate as being uh, partly a status symbol within the sport and partly as a, a, it's definitely been normalized. And so if you're thinking about the social impact of a program, you know, maybe you have, uh, you have participants on your, your team or your program that are, are their families comes from lower socioeconomic statuses and, you know, they can't afford the, the fancy suit for every new competition. And we can't, you know, have all these different equipment changes all the time. Um, she was talking about, you know, very basic, like, sport doesn't need to be about the the glitz and the glamour. Like it really can just be, you know, like as long as they're all like wearing a bathing suit (laughs) because they're kids and it doesn't matter if they match or not. um, Cause that's not what we're trying to teach them. We're trying to teach them the skill development of it. Not, you know, how do you put on the pageantry yet? Um, There's like very basic stuff you can do with like equipment from like the dollar store to help, you know, glitz them up a little bit too, because I recognize as well that socially the kids, who maybe can't afford some of this equipment don't want to feel left out when all their teammates and their peers have all these shiny new toys. You want them to feel like they have some stuff as well. So uh, even if within your program, you're designing it in a way that you're like, okay, we're not going to require them to have, you know, the matching zip up jacket set, uh, like throughout throughout the entire team, you know, we're not going to require them to have um, matching deck sandals or I I don't know. I don't really know artistic something that well, but this is, (laughs) these are the kinds of things that I I have seen only from a, from a distance view across the pool as my time as a competitive swimmer. Mm -hmm. Um, But to say, you know, like these are going to be the standards of the the program. Um, We are going to prioritize your kids' development. We're not going to worry about um, like keeping up with the Jones, so to say. Anyway, so that was another thought I just had about yeah. um, social impact around financial obligations in sport, which are can be yeah. huge at times. Absolutely, and I think um, you know, so so there's going to be a special episode for, on the Hilchus Plan podcast um, uh, there on your um, channel from the uh, it was an episode of the Sports Social Impact podcast called Grassroots Sport Diplomacy, and I think this is a really another really great um, way that sport you know, grassroots sports, community sport can have a social impact as well. So it's this, so it's this idea of, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard of, you know, sport diplomacy. So, right. The Olympics nations coming together, you know, there's the Olympic truce, everybody coming together. It's, it's, you know, it's a great show of solidarity and how, what we can do together as a world. Um, so the, the grassroots sport diplomacy really democratizes it and brings it down to a citizen to citizen level. So, you know, every time that you go to a swim competition or every time that you go to a soccer, to a soccer competition or um, anything like that, and you're, you're facing against other teams, right? You, there's, you know, you're sharing values. You're sharing, you're sharing your community. You're sharing your culture. Um, you know, you may, there may not, you may not think that there may be that many different cultures in Canada, but, um, you know, there are, um, you know, it's between some provinces and, um, you know, it just, it just creates a stronger community and a stronger country, um, and, you know, a stronger world when, when, when we, you know, bring it down to the, to the citizen to the citizen level. I remember going to the Canada games in 2013, and I remember about team PEI, they had their muscle, muscle shirts. I'm not sure oh, if yes. you're familiar yeah. with these in, so I, I mean, most people here are probably from Atlantic Canada listening, 
but uh, the the muscle, the tank tops uh, that have the like the, the PEI muscles on it. So all of Team PEI had these like this is my muscle shirt kind of things, and I remember being like, that is such a fantastic a that's a fantastic shirt. B <laughs> I want to go up and talk to them now. And then that I mean being from the prairies, that was I mean the first time I'd really interacted with a lot of Atlantic Canadians. I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, you're totally right. Like it it is honestly like going to an event like Canada games that, you know, brings together multiple provinces together, multiple regions together is like a diplomatic event. It's Mm -hmm. it's sure it's sport based sport is like the medium. It really is about that social cohesion. And and, wow, my brain just exploded a little (laughs) bit on that one, but uh, I love that. I love that. Uh, Um, Yeah. I I think that's, yeah. And it is, you know, well, how long, I don't know how long this has been 30, 40 minutes, but yeah, sport, sport can be, sport is limitless. Like, you know, just, there's so many different ways that we can imagine sport to have, to have positive impacts on, in our, in our, in our society. Yeah. And I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like we could probably go on for a few more hours on this. I'll respect everyone's time here and, and maybe start to wind us down a little bit, but coming back to all the things that we've talked about around, you know, social inclusion considerations for developing like citizens of the world through through sports I'll, I'll say um isn't meant to overwhelm you as as a volunteer coach or even a paid coach um i know that we're asking a lot of you guys already in terms of learning about uh sports sciences social sciences um learning to be more inclusive thoughtful leaders uh i so i really just think this kind of flat files into the work that you've already been doing i don't think there needs to be you know giant sweeping overarching change that has to happen in order to start building these pieces into your into your program i think all it takes is a little bit of consideration and maybe even just our conversation today around starting to think about what kind of social impacts your your organization is having you know what kind of um values are you putting out into your community i know that with almost every sport organization i've had we've had like a set of like team values um Mm. oh man let's see if i can list them off the top of my head from from my days as a competitive swimmer but I remember you know like (laughs) I want to say I want to say mine were like pride integrity excellence there was uh, something else in there anyway Mm -hmm. um wow I can't believe that came back to my brain (laughs) so quickly uh thank you Dave Guthrie for for kind of drilling that (laughs) into my brain but shout out to my old swim coach um but yeah again it's just this conversation is meant to help start you know the gears turning in your brain to in terms of um you know we already expect you to be sport leaders but how can we how can you view yourself as community leaders and and thinking about those effects that you're putting out there yeah absolutely it's a start it's yeah all you gotta do all you gotta do is start and it doesn't have to be a lot it just has to be something so i i think that's a pretty good i think that's a pretty good action item to leave to leave everybody on um, yeah, as David mentioned, uh, next week, I'm going to be sharing an episode uh, from David's podcast. So keep an eye out for that in your feed. If you've got us, uh, if you're subscribed to the Coaches Plan podcast on, um, you know, iTunes or Spotify, uh, you'll, you'll see an episode of his pop up. Um, if you're in the social or sorry, the sport for social impact feed, um, thank you for letting me come on today and, you know, give my coach education spiel. Um, I, I coaches are a huge, huge part of the sport community and, um, like can't be forgotten in this conversation. Yeah. So no, absolutely. And, and yeah, everybody listening, definitely go check out the coaches plan podcast. 
you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts as well. Uh, I guess same places that you can find the Sports for Social Impact podcast. <laughs> but yep. definitely, go, definitely go check it out. Cool. Well, David, thank you for having me on today. Um, and I can't wait to keep uh, following all the good work you're doing. I mean, um, from your days as a, as a young intern with Coach NB, uh, you, you've blossomed into, into quite, the, quite the sport leader. Oh, so thank we're, you, we're, we're really proud of you here in New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh man. Yeah, try to make I you say, cry. What do I say now? <laughs> yeah, where's my compliment? Come on. <laughs> well, like, I we didn't work together. You started after. That's that's totally fair. That's no problem. I never, I never worked with you, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, you know, it, it's been awesome. You know, I guess where I've worked with you a couple of times since, like on this podcast and then for the coach New Brunswick. Um, LGBTQ inclusion. So, you know, thank you yeah, for. Yeah, we've, we've done at least a couple yeah. of projects together. So, yeah, I mean, you know, thank you for always just saying, you know, coming out, you know, coming to me with great ideas and like, you know, being, you know, awesome, and, you know, all your work, you know, it's just like your game for anything. I, I was going to say, awesome. I, oh shoot, my phone is ringing. Hang on one second. I was going to say, I wasn't really fishing for the compliment there, but I appreciate it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you. Okay, thanks.